0: Welcome to the VO School Podcast, dedicated to the art, craft and business of voiceover. Each week builds upon the last to give you a comprehensive understanding of a career in VO. My name's Jamie Muffet, I'm a full-time voice talent and audio engineer, and I'll be joined by some of the industry's top professionals on both sides of the microphone to drill down and dig up the truth. Hello, hello. Welcome to the first episode, new original episode, should I say, of 2018. And today this is also the first in a series of episodes devoted to voiceover genres. Over the course of the next year we'll be scattering these in and covering areas such as commercial, promo, video game narration and many more. Um, But this week we are talking about audiobooks and I have two extremely qualified guests on this week which you'll hear in the bio which is coming up shortly before we get there if you'd like to connect with us you can do so via our website which has all of the links to our social media and the listening platforms and that is voschoolpodcast.com and i do encourage you to follow us on all those social media platforms and to please like and share and scream from the rooftops about this podcast <laughs> and also to leave us a review i don't badger you about this too much but it really does help us to climb up the rankings in itunes which helps the podcast to grow okay that's enough of me banging on so let's get to the bios and straight into the interview after this short break thanks the national zoo <laughs> because sometimes you
1: just need to stroke a llama
0: instagram Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today.
1: Resolve spot and stain, because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank.
0: Hi, it's J. Michael Collins, and these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Sean Pratt has been a working actor in theatre, film, TV, and voiceovers for over 30 years, recording over 950 books in almost every genre. Sean has received eight Audiophile Magazine Earphone Awards, five Audi nominations, and one Sovas nomination. He narrates for companies such as Blackstone Audiobooks, Tantor Media, Gildan Audio, HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, and Christian Audio. Sean is also the author of To Be or Wanna Be, the top 10 differences between a successful actor and a starving artist. Johnny Heller is a narrator of over 500 audiobooks and specializes in adult, noir and mystery, personal development, history, comedy, and children's book narrations. His awards and accolades include being the 2008, 2009, and 2011 Best Audiobook winner, a Publishers Weekly Listen Up Award winner from 2008 through 2013, A 2005 and 2009 Audio Award winner, one of Audiophile Magazine's top 50 narrators of the 20th century, and a multiple Audiophile Earphones Award winner. Here's our interview with Johnny Heller and Sean Pratt. All right, so today I am joined by Johnny Heller and Sean Pratt, who are both audiobook narrators. And have narrated a ridiculous amount of books, I believe over a thousand between them. Um, so, welcome to both of you.
1: Well, nice to be here. Thank you for having um, us.
0: So, let's start out right at the beginning. So, Sean, um, when and how did you become an audiobook narrator? I In
2: 1994, I was down in Washington, D.C. doing uh, some Shakespeare plays at the Shakespeare Theatre of Washington. And I mm. met an actor... Who recorded audiobooks and we had a chat about what they were. And uh, David Hilder was his name. He still does them on occasion. Um, he said, "If you ever happen to move down to D.C., give me a holler. I can introduce you to some people." And two years later, I did, and um, I—that uh, was the beginning. In '96, I met a man named Grover Gardner, who's a real stalwart in our industry, mm. and um, he—you uh, uh, know—he
1: sort of showed me the ropes, got a demo. Pardon me, because this is over my Skyping over the phone. When little news feeds come up about Steve Bannon, um, it, it'll go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep us updated on all the news throughout There this we interview. go. Yeah, right, all the fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's far more interesting than what I have to say. Apparently he feels badly about what he said to Donald Trump, so. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. So um, So anyway, yeah, that was a start. I, I He cut a little demo for me and shopped it around, and my first two clients were Blackstone Audio and Books on Tape. And that was uh, you know, twenty uh, 22 years and 950 books ago. Oh, wow. And I did it mainly because I was tired of hanging sheetrock. I was in between jobs. I'd just moved down to DC to be uh, to sort of start my life and career over, and I'd lined up a bunch of theater work that I, that all fell through at the last minute in '96. Right. And I didn't being a carpenter was sort of my day job in between acting gigs, and I didn't have a car in Northern Virginia. And I was a little panicked, to say the least. And Grover uh, came to my rescue. And um, but you know, when I started, it was just going to be one more thing to add to, just one more venue to work in as a performer. Hmm. You know, when you, uh, you, know, you know, I I grew up acting. I started acting when I was ten. Went professional when I was eighteen, and. So, you know, you do a little you know, you work on a play for three weeks or three months, or you work on a television commercial for a day or on a movie for a week or whatever. And it's just, you know, you're always looking for the next gig. And yeah. so I thought, well, yeah, audiobooks. I'll just add that to what I do. And I had no idea that I would end up really enjoying it so much.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So, uh Johnny, what about you? How did you begin?
1: Exactly the same way. W- no. Same people, but, everything? No, no, no. <laughs> I was um I was in New York and I was here doing mostly commercial stuff and I lived across the street from a fellow named Richard Ferrone who you may have heard of. He's a wonderful audiobook narrator and very big in the union audiobook steering committee stuff. Um, anyway, right. he said recorded books. At this time, I didn't know much about the industry. This was, um, I think, early 90s probably um, and Richard Ferrone said, listen, uh, recorded books needs um, uh, an adult who is kind of a juvenile delinquent and sounds like a kid and is very excitable, I think you may be that guy. So I am. <laughs> so I went there and uh, met with Claudia Howard and they started having me do kids books almost immediately. Oh, and so I, I became a regular thing. And then uh, here I am, some 600 some odd books later. Um, I still work to record books. doing uh the only things I think I do for them now are national geographic for children and the horrible Harry series. But most of works in the adult market, not the, not the dirty adult market, but the, non-erotic adult market um yeah so i started there and it just kind of went and to be honest i wasn't aware um how big it would be what what a large part of my life it would become um and how fortunate i really was because the way i got in and truly the way sean got in isn't really available for people anymore
0: well we're going to get to that shortly actually um i'm actually my first uh business related question here is to do with starting out and i'm interested to find out if you have to have a certain temperament to do voiceover audio uh, audiobook in voiceover
2: oh yeah absolutely yeah I, in fact i use that word specifically i i tell people who are, i mean i get emails all the time uh, because i coach privately i people find my email address and ask me you know, and they come from all walks of life, all ages, all countries, actually. I get people who mm. do English as a second language kind of inquiries. And I tell them, you know, you, I have a little test on my YouTube channel I tell them to go take. And basically, uh, the test is go sit in a closet and read out loud for three hours a day for two weeks straight. Right. And do you, it's about, do you have the temperament to sit in a little tiny space all by yourself, direct yourself and what you're doing? to stay that focused, you know, um, eat the elephant one fork full at a time till you get through the other side of that book. And, uh, it, I've, I've had friends who are extremely talented performers who would rather take a beating than do an audio book because of that temperament issue.
0: So is it just stamina then, or are there other aspects? Well,
2: there's, there's other things involved. Yeah. Stamina is one of them. It's a bit, actually, it's the biggest, to me, the first hurdle you have to overcome when you're working by yourself. Mm. um, you know do you have the mental and vocal stamina to to stay to keep performing because what happens of course is as you get more tired the the the, the narration the energy like Johnny saying you know an excitable guy sounds like an excitable kid that takes a lot of energy to do yeah to sustain that day after day after day for the listener you know so yeah stamina is a big deal
1: yeah what about you johnny um, a, a couple of things. Yes, stamina is huge. It used to be, I recall, when um, people put together, because I coach as well, and people put together mm. audiobook demos. I work on it all the time. And one of the things that used to be requested was a long, one of your pieces, one of your demo pieces had to be long to show that you had stamina. Well, all that all that really shows that you have the technical skill to do a 15 seconds on Tuesday and 15 seconds on Wednesday and <laughs> glue it all together. But right. the fact, the actual job of the audiobook narrator if you're in your home studio, uh, let's say an ACX type of title where there's no, it's a deadline of two or three months down the road, you can actually do just an hour here, or 20 minutes, you can do whatever you want. I think it ruins the flow. But if mm-hmm. you're hired to do something in a studio, you're booked. Monday to Friday, 10 to five, and you're working. You're reading out loud, you're acting, you're, you're performing that whole chunk. It's much longer than a play. And it goes on and on and on. Stamina is a gigantic part. And it's not just physical stamina, but a joy for what you're doing. Yeah. And, and if that's not there, I don't think you can do it because it's a hard job to do. And there's no residuals yeah. in the game, basically, unless you're doing royalty share. So once you get, let's say you get, a, let's say the minimum, let's say you make 200 bucks a finished hour, 10 hour, pardon me, 10 hour book, $2,000, however long it takes you, that's how much money you get. You don't get more than that. So, what does your day look like? How many hours are you putting in before you take a break? And, you know, how many can you actually get in? My day is different than many others, and I'm sure we're probably more similar to Sean's, except Sean's is probably much more um, scheduled. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I come. Joanna, my lovely wife, is a. Uh, we're both late night people, so early in the morning is is a hideous thing. Although when I arrive at studios at nine or ten, I'm fine. Um, I, I'm one of those people wake up, you know, greeting the new day with open arms. I'm one of those bounce-out-of-bed-in-two-seconds kind of guys that people yeah. hate. Um, <laughs> but my day generally is um, get up in the morning, do emails, do some writing, do some, you know, private stuff. Um, then it depends. Generally, if, if I have something scheduled, if I have a book to do, I make sure that Joanna, I, uh, if she has a book to do, she'll do it in the evening. So I'll do mine in the day. Um, sometimes right. I have two or three books running, so we just have to schedule time in our single booth. We live in Manhattan, so we have a whisper room. Uh, mm. So if we both have books, then we simply schedule who does what when. But basically, Joanna's going to work till you know all damn night, and I'm not going to. Um, so I go up in the morning, walk the dogs, have coffee. Um, do uh, Generally, what I'll do is I, I schedule my, my recording in a given day. Based on what else is going on, if I have students, I work out of Edge Studio in New York or Skype at home, I have that scheduled, so maybe I'll work an hour or so in the studio and then come out, do two hours of students, uh, take a break and come back in for a few hours. So I try and work it all out. It's okay with me if I want to do four hours or five hours in the studio, it's okay if I break them up. Right. As long as I don't break up the flow of the story.
0: Yeah, and you have to keep a track of, you know, feeling like noticing when you get tired or noticing if you lose that enthusiasm.
1: Oh, absolutely, one of my big coaching things is, as soon as your mind begins to wander, so right. there's a dog in the background. If you can hear that, that's um, so fine. You, it's good. You, 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 it's, well, well, that's another thing that happens in a studio when you have dogs. You have to go out and, you know, beat the dogs in into submission, um, <laughs> or by giving them Milk Bone brand cookies or something. Um, <laughs> when when I when I my mind starts to wander, let's say I'm recording anything and I start thinking. I should could use some rotisserie chicken for dinner, and it's like eleven <laughs> in the morning. Well, then I, I would argue I'm not in touch with the author's truth, yeah. and I think it's important that all audiobook, all actors recognize when they're in and not in the moment. We always say acting is moment to moment acting. It is in an audiobook as well, but you're not feeding off other people's lines and the and the adrenaline of the, of the stage uh, performance. It's just you being everybody. Telling yeah. the story. So if you begin to waver at all, then t- take a step out. Sometimes all you need to do is get out of the studio for a few moments, yeah. uh, clear your head, do something, and then come back in. Because the only person that loses in a scenario like that is the listener. Yes. And I, so I, I I'm very, very, very aware of when I'm not in the moment, even if I'm at someone else's studio. Um, if I, I'm going to be in a uh, Harper, Harper has me doing a book for Christopher Moore's new book called Noir. Fabulous book that I'll be doing um, beginning February, and I'm booked five days in a studio. Well, in that 10 to 5 booking, that doesn't mean I'm speaking from 10 to 5. Right. Yeah. If if I begin to lose my place, I said, guys, I need a break, and I'll get up, and I'll walk out. of It's okay. It's That's okay to do because it's my name on that book, too, as well as Christopher uh, Moore's, and I want to do a good job for everybody. Yeah. So an, an actor must always be sensitive and sensible to uh, to being involved with the author's truth moment to moment. And as soon as you lose that, you have to stop recording.
0: And presumably that's fairly new, unique to every person. They have their own sort of stamina and their Absolutely, own... Absolutely, yeah. so, yeah.
1: Well, no, PJ P- Ackland could go forever, I think, and so can Sean. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it gets
2: to, you know, the thing about biorhythm, you know, during the day you have peaks and valleys when you're you're most on and, and when you get tired and so on. Mm-hmm. And part of, part of learning... Uh, learning, you have to learn when those happen. And also you have to learn how to manipulate them because, you know, depending on, if you have kids, you have to, you have to narrate in a certain window when my kids were little, you know, so that had to be my on time. So I had to learn how to be mentally and physically on, you know, for those few hours they were at school. But normally now that my kids are grown, um, what I do is I teach in the morning, um, I teach on Skype for my office and I, I do that in the morning because I have a lot of students in the UK now. And of course for them, by the time I'm nine o'clock here is three o'clock in the afternoon there. Yeah. So I have to accommodate people from England and across the United States. So I teach two or three students in the morning, more or less, and then I take a break because I'm tired, vocally tired from teaching, mentally tired from teaching. And so I go to the gym, I run some errands, take a nap, whatever. And then I get up in the, the mid-afternoon And that's when I record again. So early in the morning and late in the afternoon are my best times of being awake. And that's when I can really focus. Because when I'm really on, you know, we have a. We get paid by the finished hour. And where Johnny and I are at in our careers are that we record the material and we send it into the publisher and they proof it for us. Or if Mm. you're in the studio, they proof it right then, they're following along. But if we're working at our home studio, and so the the more efficient you are when you're in your booth, the the faster you can work and, and so on, stay connected, you know, to the material. And so when I'm really on, when all the pistons are firing, I'm doing, or my ratio is about uh, two to one, you know? So two hours of work yields one hour of finished audio. Yeah. And so my goal, depending on the book, it, it depends on the schedule. Sometimes I want to get one hour done a day. Sometimes it's two hours done a day. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on what the... Uh, what the deadline is for the project and am i in good voice you know or am i being distracted because sometimes you can be totally awake and ready to roll but it just you know you have to learn to sort of hang your troubles at the door and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't yeah but uh yeah knowing when you're on both mentally and vocally is really really important
0: I'm really interested in... Now, this is a sort of side question here. I just was occurring to me as you, you guys were speaking then, that you have to really balance the two sides of your brain, the practical and the creative. Of course, you want to be absor- um, absorbed in the book that you're reading, but then you have to keep all these sort of practical considerations going. And um, I wonder if you can talk about that sort of push and pull that happens.
1: Well, that's an interesting question. I think if you start examining it as separate functions you begin to lose the ability to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it becomes, when we have a beginning student, Sean, Sean and I have taught together frequently, um, we newer students, questions like that will come up. Um, what happens actually is that you simply do it. Mm. Um, a, a lot of what we suggest and a lot of what we are, we're talking about here <laughs> probably becomes intuitive, becomes uh, instinctual. And what you want to do is get from this question to to making it happen. If you and if I tell you what happens in your head, well, that, that I can pull it out for of some um, some science books I've done, and probably explain a little bit about what goes on in the in when right. when, when all all the neurons are firing and all that other crap. But does not make yeah. a difference?
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't have time for that.
1: Yeah. What's really <laughs> what's really happening is you're either in the moment and you're, or you're not, and I I would argue you know it. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the clues to. My my discussion my my definition of an audiobook narration is um, presenting the author's truth to the listener. Be totally inv- mm. involved in that. So what I think happens is what I know happens is when you start thinking things that aren't in the script that aren't in, there's a script and there's you and there's the audience that's it assuming your equipment works. So if something screws up, it's gonna be you. Mm. And when your mind starts wandering away, then then you're not in the moment to moment. And I think you know that. And one of the ways that you know that as an actor reading the text, narrating, telling the story, is that you begin to screw up simple words that you can normally say rather easily like the and <laughs> of and uh. And all of a sudden you'll start screwing up on these simple, simple conjunctive uh, words. And, and he's, what, what the hell's wrong with me? And what's Man. wrong with you is you're thinking about laundry you're yeah. thinking about any a million things that the author is not talking about, and right. it's natural. So what what has to happen is not that you cease to do that, is that you recognize you're doing that, mm-hmm. and that's why these little squiggly lines on our computer screen that indicate uh, uh, it's recorded words you can you can erase some of those, yep. and go back and make new squiggly lines that are more on point.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> what he said. Right. Okay. Great. (laughs) Yeah. That makes perfect sense. You know, the the thing, there's a thing too, is is, when you, uh, when I have a new student and and a real newbie just getting into the industry and they're still learning microphone technique. And what I say is that you go sort of through three stages dealing with working in the booth because you have to wear, you're wearing all four hats at once. Yeah. Okay. You're the producer and the engineer and the director and the narrator all at the same time. And that's a lot to juggle at the same time. And then on top of that, you have to somehow pull a performance out. So you have to, you know, I I tell them to take it in stages. So the first thing they do is they learn to narrate without the equipment, just learning to read aloud and perform. And then you add in the director part. That's like uh, directing, you know, content and style and doing research. And then you add the element of the engineering. So learning the basics of recording. And they're not that hard to learn. Mm -hmm. And then when you learn all three of those and get those running, then you can add the producer hat because then you can you can start to figure out, well, how long is it actually going to take me to do this book? How many days of work? And, um, but the, um, when you're in there working initially, when I first started narrating, you know, you're in there and there's this thing shoved right in your face, this microphone. And so you end up sort of talking at the microphone. Like it's right there. You know, thump, 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 you know, you could, it's in your face. And then the more you continue to narrate, eventually you learn to talk to the microphone. Like it's a, like it's person almost. In mm. fact, when I one of the transitions was I would, I would uh, take a picture of my wife and I would stick it on top of the microphone, or oh. or my mom or somebody to to, had to talk to. Literally, yeah. so I was talking to that person. Yeah, <laughs> if it works, it works.
0: Whatever works. And yeah, uh, I, yeah,
2: I had pictures of Johnny, but they kept. Uh, you know, <laughs> I take him down from my dartboard. And, <laughs> right and then um, uh, eventually, you you get to a point with it where you forget the microphone's there, so you're sort of talking. Through the microphone, right to the audience, and the the, the microphone just disappears, yeah. and so that's when I know I'm I'm in flow, as they say. I've I've achieved that mental state, and of course, over the years, that gets easier and easier to get to, mm-hmm. and it's also easier to realize when you're out of it, you know, not to grind metal as it were, to like you know keep powering on because you think you have to. And Johnny's right. If if I start to lose my focus, I'll get up, you know, go for a walk around the block, get some fresh air, come back in. And I'm far more efficient that way, having taken that five or ten minutes, to than to come back in and, and or, or as opposed to trying to grind forward. You just you just have that little mental and physical break really does pay off.
1: It's interesting how our techniques are so similar because I also have a photo of Sean's wife on my mic.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh wow, that's a different so, <laughs> podcast.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so presumably after 5 to 700 audiobooks, you know, a few of those responsibilities <laughs> become second nature, you don't really have to think about them.
1: What <laughs> one, one would hope, yes. The, the the whole process actually is when you when you break it down in a, um the moment to moment decisions and choices and things you do, it's it sounds like an arduous uh, list of tasks. Yeah. Uh, like like the tasks of Hercules or something, but it's not Herculean at all. Yeah. It's really basic acting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one of the things that bother, I know both of us, is when people say, oh, you don't lot a voiceover, are you still acting? I'm like, well, you know, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Th- that's, what, that's, that's exactly what this is. This is the most organic acting experience I know, besides having an empty stage and an audience and just winging it. Um, yeah. that That's what this is. It's moment-to-moment acting, exactly like we those of us who trained, Trained and and worked hard for, I was going to do Shakespeare forever, making no money at all. Now I'm doing uh, audiobooks, making uh, some money at all. So it's it's, – but it's still the same process, the same technique. Not everyone writes as well as Shakespeare, but um, there you go.
0: One thing I did recently was actually, um, I was watching a TV show, I can't remember what it was. it was, it was a fiction show, and I closed my eyes and was just listening to the performance. And without the visuals, it, was, it sounded so flat, you know. So what people I don't think realise with particularly fiction audiobooks is that you have to give almost 110% because you only have the audio side to present
1: to people don't Don't forget, though, that when you shut your eyes while watching a film or a television program, it's a bit of a disservice to the acting because there's a, there's a, there's different techniques involved and on camera yes. mm-hmm. and on stage then in audio books. Yeah. Um, and And part of what happens for the audiobook actor in a fiction piece, when you're playing this character, that character, and the other characters, for me, and I think for all the successful people in this industry fiction or nonfiction, it is very visual. Mm-hmm. It sounds like simply an oral exercise, but it's. A, I, I view my job to be something akin to a cinematographer. The yeah. author paints the picture mm-hmm. with words, and that's, the pic, that's what I'm using. And I see the scene he describes. I hear the character speak. Wow. And yeah. I'm merely relating that story as I view it in my mind. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. So it's absolutely. all it's all pictorial to me. It's all visual. It's all the cinematographer art. I think that is translated to an audible art, I'll and I think it. that's yeah. the key for doing this really well consistently. Is that you see the story?
2: I, for myself, I uh, first of all, when you get back to the, the, the film thing, never forget that it is a slightly different kind of VO. When you watch a documentary and you shut your eyes, the voice in a documentary is there to support the picture. Mm-hmm. Okay? When you look at the spread, when you actually look at a shot sheet for a documentary, they have A-roll and B-roll. The A-roll is what you're seeing on the screen. The B-roll is, I'm sorry, the A-roll is the is the voice, the actual uh, the, the, the narrator. The B-roll is the visual, right? So the idea is that you know the the narrator on the thing. You know, and now the zebras are coming up to the waterhole <laughs> here on the Serengeti, <laughs> <spaghetti>. right? <laughs> oh, and that's all play you need, this right? With a six iron. Exactly, so you got it. So, so you know, or that guy, that show uh, how it's made is a perfect example. Yeah. If that guy was any more relaxed, he'd be in a coma. But the. But all he needs to do is tell you, and now the oven, you know, goes into the oven at 375 degrees for 45 minutes. And you see what's happening. So all yeah. he's doing is providing just an extra little bit of information. He's there to support the picture. But when you have an audio book, you have no visuals. In fact, I always remind my students that when 99% of the time when someone's listening to an audiobook, they are doing something else. They are driving to work. They're yep. folding laundry. They are p- cooking dinner or whatever. And so you have to compete, and we're visual animals to begin with. So you have to compete against uh, whatever it is they're doing to grab their attention. So it's a heightened state of performance. And you and so like Johnny, and because my my niche in the industry is, is nonfiction, I see that particular audience that I'm narrating to. They're right there in whatever construct I create. So I Mm. see them, and I'm reaching out to them. So yeah, it's very much a visual uh, exercise.
0: Absolutely, I love that. Um, So I want to explore vocal qualities now. Do you have to have any specific vocal qualities to do audiobooks?
1: If I speak English, yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah, Yeah. unless you're doing, you know, you know, some sort of Scandinavian titles for Scandinavians. Um, (laughs) But you know, here's the thing: you don't need to have. People say all the time, "I have a, people tell me I have a wonderful voice." You know, when you're doing the Well, you know, first you don't, and your friends are yeah. lying to you, and yeah. and second, it's not the quality of the voice; it's the ability to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. that's the craft. So, what you have to—the things you have to have, fiction or nonfiction—is a clear sound. Um, some reasonably good diction so people can understand word after word and you have to have an understanding of and a love of i think the english language because that's that becomes your your artist palette if you will mm. but other than vocal quality yeah i'm not sure it matters that much
2: no in fact you want you want you, sometimes the quirkier voices really are the ones that um <laughs> that really come through i mean i mean i think johnny has a quirky great Voice. He's got an amazing voice. There's, yeah. I've never heard anybody like Johnny. Right. Nope. And, um, the, um, uh, so having a unique voice can help you. It's about, but there's other issues. Like, do you have addiction problem? Do you have a breathing problem? Do you have, you know, those hmm. things can be fixed, but there's another sort of misnomer people have about, they think that only people who have beautiful voices can be, you know, uh, voiceover talents or, or audiobook narrators. And that's just not the case. It's a, like Johnny says, it's your, it's your um, storytelling ability. I've heard plenty of audiobooks and, and, and met people who are voice talents who have that beautiful, amazing voice, but they aren't good storytellers. And right. that's why people it's been my experience, you know, they don't do so well in the long run because they, they, don't, they may have an amazing sound, but they don't know how to use it to tell the story.: Right. It doesn't serve the story.
1: And there's also the danger of the, uh, the really skilled voiceover person, the person with that great, deep, you know, resonant sound, who merely uses their voice as opposed to acts. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. You, if you have certain ability, and I think one of the problems for the voiceover person is, is that they tend to um, let their little vocal quirkiness or skills or differences do the job as opposed to actually acting the moment to moment. Yeah. and and if that's what you're doing, then that's a disservice, and I don't think you're doing it. Uh, um, I don't think you're giving hundred percent. I think you're giving like thirty. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I've ran. Into, I used to run into that when I was doing Shakespeare. Uh, you know, you'd find some actor who's got this amazing act or actress has an amazing voice, real g- great resonance, and you know they're saying the thing and uh, doing <laughs> the thing on stage, and and it sounds great, <laughs> yeah. but ultimately it's very limiting because they're relying on that to get them through. Yeah, and you know I don't. It's like I've—I don't have a strong voice in that sense. I, I, I you know, I, I've learned microphone technique over the years, but I don't have a, you know, I guess I have a very smooth voice or a very generous kind of voice. Hmm. Um, but I don't have a very hard-edged voice or a very powerful voice. But w- I make up for that by the fact that I can really get inside the story and tell it.
1: You sound like a very friendly grandmother. I think there you know. go. Thank <laughs> you.
0: Thank you, Sonny.
1: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, it's interesting here to me that, um, you know, we, we may get onto the technical side if we, if we have time. But what keeps coming back, what we keep coming back to is the acting side and the performance. So you're both coaches, so you may be slightly biased with this question. But hmm. do you need specific audio book training or would general acting training be a better course, at, at, at least when you're starting out, would you say? I found that the the audiobook
2: training is really about, um, well, like I said, I always if someone approaches me and has no experience with audiobooks whatsoever, I always tell them to go take the test on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Because then they're going to find out very quickly if they have the temperament to do it. So let's say they pass that. I have them fill out a questionnaire and I look at their background. It's been my experience again and again that those people who come from a performance background, theater actors, film actors they're already able to do that magic if to put themselves as a storyteller. So they have a huge leg up. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have no acting training whatsoever and no VO training whatsoever, I, I tend not to take uh, mm-hmm. because it's going to be, and because this is very difficult. It's it's not doing a 15 second commercial. yeah, And it's a much more nuanced and, and the stamina issue comes into play as well. So, you know, uh, yeah, performers definitely have a leg up over non-performers when it comes to audiobooks. Right.
1: I am not at all certain that you have to have an official acting background. On the other hand, I did and do, and Sean did and does, and how's that, right? Anyway, Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I went too far there. Um, the, the point is this. The job is an actor's job. Yeah. The only way around that, and it really isn't a way around it, it's simply another way of saying it, if you're a gifted storyteller, you don't necessarily—not every actor went to acting school. Yeah. I will say, however, that every actor who's worth their salt has learned acting as they, as they moved along. You have certain people who are alleged you know, stars who uh, can act out of a paper bag, Shia LaBeouf or people like that, um, who I just don't think anything of. And there's yeah. uh, he may he may surprise me and do something good. I can't imagine that. But uh, um, <laughs> but th- there are many actors we see on television or film. You say, how the hell did they get that gig? How come you know so and so is a star? Why is yeah. Ben like a star? I don't know. I don't know. But there they are. So, but did he study acting? I don't know. But I do think that the more you know about the acting craft, I think one of the things I do tell people, if they have no background at all and and uh, you know if they if they maybe have some some ability some skill level i always suggest they get into an improv workshop class or a basic mm-hmm. scene study class because one of the things that really get gets in the way for an adult pursuing uh, audiobook work audiobook narration work is we still have all these inhibitions acting is make believe acting right. is making choices as adults we tend not to make believe anymore When you and I, we three, we three boys, our kids, we can play. We can be Batman, Wonder Woman, and Catwoman, and it doesn't matter who's who. It's fine. We don't have any gender issues. We don't have any black or white issues. We have nothing like that. We just play. Mm -hmm. As we get older, all those issues creep in, and it makes. And so we we start to stop ourselves. And I think acting workshops, scene studies, improv. Improv means just say yes. If I set up the scene, here we are in a gas station. That's where we are. Sean can't say no. We're in a zoo. That's mm-hmm. not that's not improv. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. So I yeah. think once you start studying things like that and get it, losing some inhibitions and accepting the situation in which the author or whoever it is puts you in, you become better able to handle acting choices. So I, I think I think it's more beneficial to have been from an acting background, but not mandatory.
2: Right. Yeah, I, and I agree with Johnny. In fact, one of the things I do if I take on a student who doesn't have a performance background, because sometimes. By the time a student comes to me, even though they don't have a performance background, they've been working on ACX, and they've done 5, 10, 15, 20 books. They just took the plunge. And I'm like, you know what? If you've done that many books, then you're already in the trenches with it, and so you're ready to be coached. But I but I, I insist that those particular students uh, look around and try and take an acting 101 or an improv class in their local community because I said, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, it's still about acting. Yeah. And so – Anything, you know, if you approach the class with a sense of fun and discovery and just have, you're not going to, I said, look, I'm not trying to train you to be the next Olivier on the stage. I'm saying like, this will open you up to more, To you'll bring more stuff to the microphone when you come back to your work. So, um, and and every so often you'll just get a natural. I think Johnny can speak to this too, is that every so often I'll get someone who's has no experience, but I'll have them do some stuff for me. And they're just a great storyteller. They have a great yeah. voice. They have a great sense of storytelling. They connect with the text. They have a sense of technique, and and you're like, I can't say no to that. And that's another thing I've learned too is, uh, when I take some, sometimes I've, when I first started coaching, uh, to my own detriment, sometimes I would judge a student like I don't think they're going to do well in the end. To myself, of course, I would never say that to them. Yeah. Um, but now I've learned, I've learned, I don't do that because I've, I've had students really surprise me. Someone I'm like, oh, well, they might be okay. They just, that something happens, they click with their technique and their skill, and they just take off. Yeah. And so the one thing I've learned as a teacher, and this is obviously different than being a, a narrator, but as a teacher is don't judge your students on that level. They will surprise you. If they put in the time and the effort, they're going to get better. And, and uh, that's a wonderful thing to watch happen
0: yeah great. Um, I could talk about the acting thing all day, but I, I do have to get to some of the nuts and bolts of the business side as well. Mm. Um, how do you find your first job? ACX has been brought up a couple of times in this conversation. What is that? and maybe not from your own experience because things have changed somewhat over the last few years, um, but maybe experience you've had through your students. How do people actually get started doing this today?
1: Assuming that there is um assuming that they're ready to work, okay? Yeah. which is different than just jumping in and, and, and not right. succeeding. Assuming there's an ability and a talent and a skill level. And real the equipment and the space to record. Yeah, Don't I mean, there's that. all kinds of things. So assuming that yeah. all the all the pieces are in place, they're ready to work. Yeah. ACX is, uh, what's it called? Audiobook Creation Exchange? Audio, what's mm-hmm. it called? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. So Audio Creative Exchange. If we look at the world of publishing, and we say that in a given year, 10 to 15%, of the books that are written will be picked up by the major publishers and the majority of those turn to audio because audio is booming now. Mm-hmm. Um, that still leaves a vast percentage that are not published and or put out in audio. And, and those numbers fluctuate given year to year, but basically there's a vast, the larger percentage of books written in a given year because they're crappy books, or just not interesting, or you know, or the writer's bad, or something, may not get picked up by a publisher. Doesn't mean they won't get sent off on audio. Sometimes, if you, uh, if 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 Sean wrote a book and he wants to put it out there, and and uh, Harper or Simon and Schuster don't pick it up, so Sean wants it out there as an audiobook. He's the rights holder. He can put it on ACX. And he can have auditions, and Jamie, you and I can audition to be, and he can pick one of us. We then become the producer, right? Okay. Sean picks me to do his book, the Sean Allen Pratt story, my life in snuff films. It's a short story, <laughs> so he picks me to do it. So I'm going to do. I'm going to do the book, and I've got two, three months, and I'm going to put it out there. So that. So now, and then, there's a ways. That he's either going to pay me. I, I, there are, there are different. Uh, numbers, uh, salaries, you can put zero to 50, 50 to 100, 100 to 200, I think something like that. That's per finished hour. Yeah. Or it can be a royalty share, which means if Sean's book is going to sell well, that he and I, it used to be uh, 50% went to Amazon because they need that kind of money. And then Sean <laughs> and I would each get 25% each. Then Amazon really did well and said, we need more money than that. So now they take 60%. And Sean and I get twenty twenty, but if it's a good selling book, you can like I I've only got five or six books in ACX, and I probably pull down three to five hundred dollars a month on the books, right? Um, which which is great, and I have for a number of years because they're I, I, I picked, well, I picked <laughs> I did Tom Sawyer for one. I'm I mean, Huck Finn, I mean, so that's that's going to do well. Um, yeah. If you pick the right book, like the, the Sean Snuff story, should probably do very well in the <laughs> Snuff market. Very big, a lot of huge fans of Sean. In it's, snuff in films. it's in yeah, rewrites. It's in rewrites. Come on, yeah, yeah, my life in recurring roles in snuff films. So anyway, so go. um, <laughs> the only guy who makes it <laughs> film to film. <laughs> so anyway, so, so, so there it is. So that's that's what and there's other companies that like that. For example, Findaway, yeah, just signed a union contract. They have a similar deal where authors bring their work to them, or they reach out to authors. Let's say I discover Sean has a book, and I say Sean. I can get this thing done in audio. There's a book. So I reach out to the author and I work a deal out. We bring it to ACX, find a way. Or my dear friend and Sean's, Stephen J. Cullen, runs a Spoken Realm Audio, mm-hmm. which not only has these royalty share deals and options, they have hybrid deals too, where there can be part finished hour and part royalty share. So there are many options. So the way for the newer actor to get some work is first off, First off, this is very important. Do not do crappy books just to do books. Right. Because then you become known as the guy with crappy books. Right. Yeah. Um, don't be that guy. Pick books that you want to do, that are decent, that you like, that there's something in it for you as well. If you make money, that's great. That should be the idea because you're going to spend time and money on it. Don't do books that aren't going to sell. You know, the, the history of dirt that may not sell well. <laughs> don't, don't do not do that. Sean's yeah. snuff book will sell better. I'll tell you what sells well is, um, is erotica and romance and, of course, yeah. Christian books. If you can do a zombie lesbian uh, Christian <laughs> romance, I, th- I think you do maid. pretty well. Yeah, that's a, that's, yeah. A, that's a seller right there. Right. Uh, Matt, we I know should write that. I'm writing this afternoon. That's <laughs> 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 so so I, I think Sean would agree that you want to get in those things and or put together a, a kick-ass, get some nice demo links on your website. Yeah. And then reach out to producers and casting people sending the link to your website. And there's a whole technique about how to do that as well. But I've been talking a while. I apologize, Sean's turn.
2: No, that's all right. No the, the thing the thing to remember you have to have you have to have a studio that's of a certain quality, equipment mm. that's of a certain quality. So you know um, because if you do a recording through ACX and it's crappy, they'll reject the recording. Yeah. So it pays to work with you know when I, when I set up my latest studio in a new space, I hired an engineer to come in and work with me to test my sound, get the, the the noise floor correct, all the the specs correct, and then I sent that out to all my clients and said, "Listen to this. Is this okay?" And they all said yes. So we're off and running. And so, uh, so first you have the quality issue. The second thing you're going to be dealing with uh, to get s- to find work is ACX is the place to get started, um, because you're uh, think uh, the analogy I like to draw is theater. Um, you know, when I got to New York in 90 to be a theater actor, you know, you're like, oh, I want to work on Broadway. And you go and you talk to someone who works on Broadway, like, well, you got to work off-Broadway before they will look at you on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So you try to get on to off-Broadway and they go, uh, oh, no, you have to work off-off-Broadway first. So you yeah. go to off-off-Broadway and you do, you know, uh, uh, summer stock theater for a hundred bucks a week. And in a lot of ways, ACX is like that initially. You have to think of it as working for free in, in that sense, for your community theater, for summer stock work. You're going to work your butt off. You're not really not going to make any money, mm-hmm. but you need the experience. You need the credits on the resume because ultimately the bigger publishers will not look at you until you amass a certain number of titles. I mean, there's always a caveat. There's always that one person who can get through, but they do that because they can now yeah. because there are so many people who want to get into audiobooks. So, you know, it might be 30, 40, 50 titles before – Random House or Tantor or Brilliance t- takes you seriously because they can. They can. They can set that bar higher and higher until they get what they want. Um, that being said, uh, like Johnny, like, like Johnny referred to, pick good material to work on. Mm. Um, but n- n- initially, anyway, as a newbie, picking quality material is important. Whether or not you get paid a lot of money is not. You need the experience. You know, Johnny and I could. You know, when Johnny was doing you know stand-up comedy for five bucks a set, a set you, know, you start out from the bottom and you work your way up. That's just the way it goes. Um, you have to pay your dues. You need the experience. But eventually, you can start to audition for per-finished-hour things on ACX. Now, just know that as you do that, you'll be competing against other narrators who have a larger resume than you do, and they might be taken more seriously by the author. But you can also just strike out—I mean, after you get enough experience— if you, you know, one of the things I I I walk my students through and show them how to do once they have an audiobook resume and some other marketing materials is simply going on amazon.com and looking around for books that haven't been produced as audiobooks and just basically doing a pitch as you'd say. Right. You know, "Hi, this is me. I'm an audiobook narrator. I saw your book on Amazon. I think it's a great title. I'd love to open a conversation with you." About perhaps being the producer for the audiobook version, we can sell it on Audible through ACX, you know. And here's my resume, and here's a demo, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can evolve, but it does take time. And and this this is the la- the other thing about um, for a lot of people wanting to get into audiobooks is that they come from uh, well, my, some of my students call them muggles. You know they they come <laughs> from a uh, they come from a corporate small c corporate background. You know, they worked for a company, they worked for whatever that was, and there was a structure there. You know, they go to work, they have a boss, the boss gives them assignments, they get a quarterly review. If they get that, they get a raise in a corner office or whatever. But there was a hierarchy and a structure for their efforts. And of course, when you get into the show business, there's none of that, none of it. And a lot of people just can't deal with that. I field questions all the time from beginners saying, well, if I work really hard, and do everything you tell me to do, how much money do you think I'll make next year?
1: <laughs> and I
2: always say I have the same answer. I said, I, I can't tell you that. I said, you can work your butt off for a year and make a dollar, or work your butt off for six months and make $10,000. And I say, but listen to this. Anyone who guarantees you a certain amount of money after a certain amount of time, if you work with them, uh, you need to get up and leave that room because they're going straight oh, for your wallet. Yeah. yeah. And so so th- initially for, for new for new narrators... To me, the emphasis is on experience, doing material that's at least passable. It may not be great. It it ain't all Hemingway, that's for sure. Mm. But at least you're going to learn and you're going to build your resume. You're going to make connections. You'll get to know people. You know, we have a lot of groups on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn now where you can talk with other narrators, gain knowledge from their experience, and then slowly begin to develop that inertia that moves you forward. But you have to be patient. You know, you can... I've had even some of my students who, you know, they might have a great... Last year might be a great year, but this year might be terrible for them. That Welcome to show business. Yeah. You know, that's also part of the gig.
1: There are also workshops being done frequently. For example, Sean and I yeah. are working with Scott Brick out in L.A. Yes, January 27th yes. on the business of audiobooks.
2: They call that a tease in the industry. Yeah. Well, I'm, gonna, yeah, <laughs> so
1: there's, I'm, doing I'm doing it. Sean, I do the... Um, one of the biggest uh, things happening is APAC, the Audio Producers Association Convention... Yeah. May 30th in New York City and the day before interestingly enough is the Johnny Heller Splendiferous Narrator Workshop I think this is the fourth year in a row and we do almost 200 people right. um, with different panelists talking about things uh, one of the, th- the two things that I'm going to jump off from what Sean said before we have to end this is um, one if you're going to reach out to an author and take them to Spoken Realms or Find a Way or ACX then you need to understand how those things work Yeah, Because the author may not, and if you don't, then you're not going to have a successful pitch. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, once you have some links to good demo pieces on your website, and you have to have that, you need that. Mm. You can reach out to casting people from Tantor, from Blackstone, from Simon Schuster, from Penguin Random House. But if you reach out and say, listen, I want you to listen to my demos, and your demos suck. yeah. Let's say they'll they'll do it because that's part of what they do for a living that, you know, Wednesdays, 11 till lunchtime. We're, we're listening to people's stuff. Right. If they if they say, I'll listen to Sean's right now. And they go, oh, my God, that's awful. Now, let's say Sean's new and, and it is awful. But later on, he's going to be great. They're going to remember that he's awful. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't reach out to have people take a listen or look at your work if it isn't up to snuff yet.
0: That was going to be my next question. Um, well, you go. And I know we do have to wrap it up shortly, <laughs> is do um, publishers accept unsolicited? So, you know, I'm presuming now that maybe someone's worked a little bit on ACX. They've got a few books under their belt. They've done some training. They've got the studio set up. How do you make that leap, like you say, to that maybe 10 to 15% of published work? How do you jump into that?
1: There will be um, – many of your books will be reviewed, sadly, on Audible by listeners – Mm -hmm. my feeling is kind of like on yelp um you don't have have an acting background to say that you think so-and-so sucks as an as a narrator narrator you know i've heard some some reviews people put on audible are just vicious but you see that the 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 quotes they have are generally either the best or the shittiest quotes in the world can i say that i'm saying it um yeah yeah um (laughs) but but generally let's say the book has four stars across yeah. and your performance is four stars that's what's important three stars and up tends to be worthwhile for publishers to look at understand that the casting people at the different publishers have a job to find and 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 uh, uh and nurture new talent as well as keep uh, the old guys happy um so so th- they're not against hearing you at all you can meet them at APA, uh, Audio, uh, Audio Producers Association Mixers. You can reach – you'll meet them at APAC if you go. You'll, they're online frequently, so you can find them in a lot of these groups that Sean mentioned uh, on Facebook and stuff. They're very active. Most of them are younger. You can reach out to them. They'll find out who you are a little bit. You can reach out to them. That's their job. My, so the way to get to the next level is two. One, reach out to them in the way that you'd like to be reached out to where the table's turned. Yeah. Understand what they do. How would you like it? Make sure it's that. Don't just send, hi, I'm really great. You know, there are obviously stupid things to do and smart things to do. And we don't have time to go through the the whole marketing way to do it. But yeah. there are methods and you can't, you don't have to, you don't have to have 52 books to get a job with Simon Schuster. If you're yeah. the right voice, you're the right voice. Yeah. And generally, when they start listening to Sean or Johnny or James, whoever, they may have a, a, I need a voice for this particular story. They say, I like Sean's voice, I like Johnny's voice. Both are too light. I'm looking for more a James Earl Jones sound. It doesn't mean they don't like Sean and don't like Mm -hmm. Johnny. It just means we're not the voice in their head right now. Yeah. And you, the actor, can never know that. If I say, you know, don't forget the actor's job is to hear no more than any other position in the world. Yeah. We don't bat 300. We don't bat... We bat 180, you know? So that's just the way it is. So it doesn't mean you're not good. It means you're not the voice they're looking for right now. It doesn't mean you didn't make the impression. And it's not personal.
2: And that's the thing, too. It's not personal. You know, that's... You say, how do you have a thick skin in this business? I I don't think I have necessarily a thick skin. I just understood very early on acting. It's like, well, I didn't get the job because they weren't looking for a really tall, redheaded guy to play that role. Or, you know, or, or vice versa. You know, sometimes... You well. Ultimately, you 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 ultimately don't know the final criteria by which you are being judged in yeah. show business for a role. I I once I was once up for a uh, a part in a movie that I got. It was between me and this other guy, and the other guy was the hunkier and sexier looking. No, but we were, I know, I know. It's hard to <laughs> believe, but it's so it came down. I'm not kidding you. We had, the reads were the same. Everything was the same, and what I found out later, the reason he didn't get the part was that he had his, he had a lazy left eye and every so often it would wander. So for the, for the close up on camera, it was bothering the producer. He said, I can't use this guy. Yeah. So ultimately it came down to a lazy left eye. And so, but here's the thing. He didn't that know the that title
0: of your autobiography. Yeah, that's exactly. That's right. That's
2: right. The one that Johnny's going to record for me after the snuff <laughs> film, uh, biography and the, uh, but you know, and so you have to learn, you just, the job of a performer and this is also with audiobooks. That your job is auditioning, yeah. So you better like it, and you better learn how to do it really well, because performing is the icing on the cake. It really is, you know. And Johnny and I still audition for material. You know, uh, you'll get a savvy author who has that in their contract. It's like, well, I want to pick the narrator, and so Blackstone or Penguin Random House will say, okay, we'll pick from one of these five guys mm. for this for this thing. We still narr- We still audition for material. Now, granted. We get a lot of just offers because with our our regular clients because they know our body of work and they know our sound, and that's okay. But you know, you just have you do the audition and you forget about it. You go right to the next audition. Do that one. Focus on that one to make that the best audition possible, and then move on to the next one. And eventually, it's a numbers game. Eventually, one of them's going to click, and you're going to get that gig, and you're going to then you work as hard as you can on that gig to learn from it and to become a better performer. and but, but even while you're working on the gig, you're still auditioning for the next thing. You're yeah. always looking for work. I always tell people, I've lost every job I've ever had as a performer because yeah. they all end. Yeah. The play closes, yeah. the movie wraps, the book goes to the end, and that's it.
1: Always be closing. Yes. Always be closing.
0: Yeah. And I think these are truisms in the whole industry and voiceover yeah, and acting and everything, really. I mean, yeah. the whole entertainment there's
2: nothing, industry. There's nothing new about that. I mean... So I would say, you know, and you were talking about the, the business end of it too, it's, you know, make sure, sh- you know, if you're going to get on ACX, then take the time and listen to, this is across a, a couple of things. A person getting into it should subscribe to audiofall magazine. I, I suggest getting the physical copy so you can read it wherever you're at and look for those books that have the earphones award. So, you know, that's an internal award the magazine gives to really good recordings. So at least you have a, a pretty good idea that that recording was a pretty darn good one. To listen yeah. to as an audiobook. book, um, then when you go into ACX, if you rec- type in the name of a narrator you know, they might be on there. Go to their profile. It's open. It's free. Listen to their demos. What did you hear? Mm. Analyze it. You oh, know? we should
1: say, Sean, to get into ACX, if you want to check it out, if you've ever ordered from Amazon, that is your password for ACX. Yes, right.
2: that's true because they're owned by Amazon. Yes, and so you know, you you don't you know you can you can go on. You don't even have to join. You can just go on and look through stuff and listen. Um, you just to, to gain experience. I tell my students all the time, listen to these other demos. What did you hear? What did you like? What mm-hmm. di- didn't you like? What impressed you? What caught your attention? And you also look at the other information provided and the way they, they structure it. And, um, you know, and like and like Johnny said too, it's like you also go to these networking events. Like Johnny's... Splendiferous workshops, an amazing event, mm. uh, mo- mainly because he has me involved in it, but that's a different story. <laughs> so, but, well, don't be killing and your it, chickens,
1: pal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, um, but yeah, I mean, there are no college classes for this, so you're also going to need training. A lot of the training and a fair amount of the training, frankly, you can learn to do on your own in the sense of listening to audiobooks. There's plenty of, of YouTube videos about technique and things out there. There's also some really very good coaches out there, depending on what kind of thing you want to study. So let's say you want to work on accents. So you might, you know, find somebody like Joel Frumkin or PJ Auckland, or let's mm-hmm. say you want to do fiction, uh, you know, a certain kind of, or uh, so there's plenty of teachers like that, like Johnny and Scott Brick and Carol Monda and so on. Um, my little specialty is I do nonfiction. That's what I like to teach. It's like I like to do, but you're going to need some coaching eventually. Because you know, unless you're going to be an autodidact. Now, granted, yeah. Johnny and I are autodidacts. We taught ourselves how to do this way back then, but the world was different twenty some odd years ago. Right. The pressure wasn't on to be turning out this material as quickly as possible.
1: I had to look mm. that up now.
2: <laughs> it's your word for the day, Johnny. And uh, the the pressure wasn't on, and and there were just fewer people trying to get into the industry. So there was, you know, so we had a little more breathing room to learn organically how to do this thing yeah and uh um but it is you know i say it's doable heck if if johnny and i can learn how to do it as you know as performers just walking in off the street as it were if you've got the determination and focus you can learn how to do it too
1: and for those listening at home autodidact means a self-taught person
2: (laughs) I taught, I taught Johnny how to use his phone too.
0: So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I did it on the computer. That's very helpful. That's great.
0: <laughs> I had to put it on my business card.
1: Johnny Hiller, autodidact.
0: That was like a great way to end it with a little factoid at the end there. But this has been such this has been such a, <laughs> been such a, a useful information uh, information filled episode and I've I, I do have like five hundred more questions to ask, but I know we've it's a Sunday for everyone listening, so we, I need to, you to get back to uh, enjoying Football. your day day off. Yeah, exactly. Um maybe we can have another one of these in a few months' time. Um, Absolutely. And we can get into some other subjects. But, uh, yeah, so for today, thank you, uh, Johnny Heller and Sean Pratt, for joining me. Do you guys have anything you would like to
1: plug? I know you've done a little bit of plugging already, so go ahead. Um, well, as I mentioned, the uh, January 27th in L.A., um, for those of you who are in the um, Phoenix area, I'll be speaking at the Tucson uh, Wilmot Library on uh, mm, February... Was the eighth or ninth, whatever the Friday is, at two o'clock, yeah. um, and then Sean and I both not only are available online and through uh, um, and easy to find on Facebook and things. Um, we both have many workshops we put out. Uh, Sean actually just came back from London in December. We worked together in the UK. It was a wonderful time. So do look out for uh, upcoming workshops for from both of us, either together or individually, because we tend to do a lot of traveling around. Uh, so we may be coming to whatever town you're in. Yeah, and the way to
2: find us, uh, Johnny has, um, you can find us on Facebook. We have uh, spots there for both of us. And, of course, we're both online. I'm at SeanPrattPresents.com. You can find me on Twitter, uh, SP Presents. And um, as far as upcoming uh, workshops are concerned, um, I'm going down to Texas uh, in February. On the, uh, I'm doing a class in Dallas on the 16th and one in Austin on the 19th. And uh, But more than that, uh, in just a couple of weeks, I'll be with Johnny and our friend and colleague, Scott Brick, in Los Angeles, doing as part of a big panel roundtable business of audiobooks in Los Angeles. We're really, really looking forward to that. And if you want to join
1: the Johnny Heller Alumni Workshop um, Facebook group, uh, you can you can ask to be join that group. Having heard this exciting thing, I'll put you in there.
0: All right. <laughs> Great. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you to both of you for all that. Uh, it was fact-filled and entertaining as well so what more could you want <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right well thank you all right thank you very much
0: so there we are how much fun was that thank you very much to sean and johnny who were. Uh, very good value for money in that interview very funny and very entertaining and bring (laughs) an extraordinary amount of wealth of knowledge to the discussion Um, I said in the interview they have over a thousand books between them um, which is just incomprehensible really (laughs) so as I said at the start please follow us on social media and you can find all those links on our website voschoolpodcast.com Next week, we are having our brand audit session, which is a follow up on the marketing and branding episode that we had at the end of last year. And a listener to the show, Marissa Blake, is going to be interviewed by Celia Siegel, who is a marketing and branding expert. And we're going to be able to listen in to the process. And I'm not going to elaborate any more than that because it's a really fascinating listen. And I think everyone will get a lot out of it so that's really exciting but otherwise i hope you enjoyed the interview and i look forward to speaking to you next time all right thanks very much i'll speak to you soon bye thank you to this week's guests to our sponsor j michael collins and backstage magazine thanks also to kyle marie Colucci and chris sharps for social media support Join us next time for another class.